Good morning. We want to welcome you to East LJ Baptist Church this morning. What a beautiful Lord's Day it is, and we're so glad you're here. What a privilege it is to be able to gather in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And here at East LJ, we've been captured by Christ. We have seen through the gospel the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have come to know God's love and mercy and grace through his gift of his Son, uh, who came and lived, died, and rose again, that we might be called the sons and daughters of the living God. And so we're here to spread that enjoyment of our, beauty of, uh, our enjoyment of the beauty of Christ with you and our world, and we pray that you'll see him today in all of his beauty and be captivated by him as well. We want to take just a minute, uh, see some new faces, we want to take just a minute to stand and greet one another, find somebody you don't know, and introduce yourself. Make your way back to your pews and remain standing. Before we read scripture, we want to take care of a, a little family business real quick. Today is Miss Winnie Keener's 96th birthday, I just heard. And so we're going to sing. Happy birthday, Miss Winnie.
All right. And of course, she's the, she's the lady that's sitting down in the very back of the church. So there you go. <laughs> All right. Remain standing as we read from God's Word. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. We've been talking about this passage the last several uh, Sundays as we start our service, and what an encouragement this is. What a reminder of, of just how practical the gospel is. We have come this morning. I, I'm assuming the reason you're here is you want to draw near to God. And we're told that we can draw near to God with full assurance of faith. Uh, we're, we're told that we can hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Does your hope ever waver? Well, we're told here it doesn't have to waver. Because the one who promised is Faithful. You see, my hope, your assurance, doesn't depend on how I feel. doesn't depend on what you did yesterday or didn't do this morning. It depends on what Jesus did in his life and in his death and in his resurrection. And because of his finished work, then we can draw near to God today with full assurance of faith. We can hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Because God said Jesus saves, and he can't lie. God said Jesus' payment on the cross and victorious resurrection was enough. And he is not lying to you. And so you can come boldly, assuredly, and you can come gratefully. Because, see, I know what I didn't do yesterday. I know where I failed last week, but I know where Jesus paid it all, even for that. And the same is true for you, so let's draw near to him today. As we draw near, we want to pray both for our neighbors and for the nations. This morning, we want to pray for one of our own uh, who is going to be uh, continuing to serve as a missionary. Uh, Jim Leslie serves with the Gideons International. He'll be going this Wednesday back to Burundi, Africa. Uh, and so he'll be gone for about 21 days. Pray for Jim as he goes. God, he, he made a trip just a few months ago. God was gracious during that trip uh, and protected him uh, physically and, 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 and health-wise. So just can pray for Jim the same way this time uh, and that God would use him as he uh, helps our brothers and sisters there in Burundi distribute God's Word to those who don't have their own copy. Join me as we pray, and we want to pray for a host of sick and greeting folks too this morning. Father, again we praise you that not because of who we are, not because of anything we've done, and in spite of who we are, and in spite of what we've done, we can come boldly before your throne of grace with a true heart in full assurance of faith because Jesus paid it all. 
And the work of salvation is, as Jesus said, finished. We praise you, Lord Jesus. We exalt you. We pray that your name above all things would be exalted in this place today. For we confess that you are our world's greatest need. And so, Father, we pray for those in Burundi that the Gideons International will minister to in the days ahead. We pray for God's word that it would run there, that the gospel would be spread. We pray for our brother Jim as he goes and pray that you'd prepare him, strengthen him both physically and spiritually, keep him free of illness. Uh, Father, surround him um, with your presence and uh, Father, go before him and um, through, the, through the gospel and through your word and by your spirit, God, just push back the darkness with the truth and uh, help him to encourage our brothers and sisters there who serve you and who are seeking to expand the gospel in their nation. Father, we want to pray this morning for a number who need your healing or your comfort. Father, we pray for Beverly McDaniel. We continue to lift up the family of Nancy Hall. We pray for Margaret Diggs, jo- Joan Peel, George Wright. We thank you, God, for answered prayer for Natalie Johnson. Continue to pray for Mary Milton and Virginia Holder, for Teddy Milton and Billy Duncan, for George and Edie Wester, Wilburn DeFore and Denise Key, for Steve Eller and Chris Hanley. We pray for continuing comfort for the family of Carol Kemp. Lift up Liz Clark and LaJean Aiken. We pray especially this morning for Angie Callahan, along with Larry. We pray for Pat Hamby and Fran Waddell and Tina Johnson. We lift up Jeff Wall, Susie Cochran, Annette Corson and Den Coleman. Lord, we pray for Janice Crum as we continue to pray for Tyree Donaldson and his family. We lift up Trisha Patterson and Joe Hensley. God, we pray for Donna Emery. And others, Father, who you know need your healing touch. And God, thank you for your presence in, in every one of their lives, Father. And, and, and God, thank you that you can bring about miraculous healing. And we ask that you would do that where it's your will. God, thank you. In other situations, you strengthen and give grace for the moment. Father, we pray for comfort for these that are grieving And God, we thank you that you are in this place today. I pray that you would meet each of us who are gathered here, for those joining us by live stream. Meet us where we are personally. And oh God, I pray that you would help us to see Christ for who he is and respond with our our whole lives of worship. Thank you, Father, for what you're going to do during this hour. We praise your name in Jesus' name. Amen. Remain standing as we worship in song.
my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to
And Father, this morning, our greatest need is to once again rest our souls in your embrace. We praise you that we are yours and you are ours. We can call you Father as you call us your children. And indeed, as those who follow a risen and reigning King, you are daily calling us out upon the waters. God, you are calling us to go where our feet on their own fail. To live in light of the resurrection power that lives in each of us, even by the Spirit of Christ. Sometimes we don't look a whole lot like resurrection power. And so God, today, would you speak to us? Would you change us? Would you call us out on the waters and... and God, give us faith to take the step, to keep our eyes above the waves fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who even now has gone before us and is seated at the Father's right hand, who is faithfully interceding for us and who is, by His Spirit, pulling us into the heavenly harbor of our eternal home in His presence. We praise You. We thank You. God, for some today, I pray that they would take that first step of turning from sin and turning to Jesus. They might know Him. They might come to know You, Father, as Lord and Savior. No longer Your enemies, but through Christ and what He's done some today would become your children. Be our teacher, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 11. As we turn there, we'll be dismissed to Children's Church. We want to thank all of our Children's Church workers, our nursery workers for their service to us. Hebrews chapter 11 is where we're going to be this morning. You can go ahead and find um, verse 32. That's where we'll pick it up in just a few minutes. I agree with John Piper who said about the book of Hebrews, the great challenge of the book of Hebrews and the mission of our church is to cultivate and to spread a death-defying passion for God. Our aim is to cultivate and spread the unshakable confidence that God is better than what life can give us and what death can take from us. Whoa, preacher. I'm not so sure that's why I come to church. I'm not so sure I'm into some kind of death-defying passion for God, because that means I'm coming face to face with death, and who wants to die or even come close? There is a gospel that is no gospel, by the way, 
that runs rampant, even in the church in America today, that says, no, no preacher, I'm here to be entertained. So I hope you do good this morning, and I'm here to hear how God will bless my life if I'll just make sure I make it into my little place in the pew on Sunday morning. And by bless my life, preacher, what I mean is I want God to make everything good at home. I want want a happy family. I want things to be good at work, and by that what I mean is lots of money. I I, want to make sure that, that God blesses my life, preacher. That's why I'm here, because I want ease and comfort in life. And this prosperity gospel is no gospel according to the Word of God. You see, according to the book of Hebrews, we should be here to cultivate and to go spread a death-defying passion for God that says Jesus is better than anything life can give and Jesus is better than anything death can take. We continue in our study of the book of Hebrews this morning. I believe, I'm not sure, I believe we've been about, this is about 22 Sundays we've been in the book of Hebrews. We're going to get through one day. We're almost through chapter 11, so... Uh, We've looked at this letter under the title of Don't Forget Who Jesus Is. That exclamation is really what the author wants us to to remember. Don't forget who Jesus is, and then don't stop believing what you know and living in obedience to Him because of who He is. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35, it says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. The whole book of Hebrews makes it clear, persevering faith is saving faith. Faith, as Jesus says, that endures to the end is faith that saves. The Hebrews, these to whom the letter was written, were in danger of turning back. They'd come across some hard times. They, uh, their life, God wasn't in the American church sense blessing their life. Things were hard for them as they followed Jesus. They were being persecuted of all things. And the author of Hebrews says, you need, to, you need endurance. You need to hold on to your confidence so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And then he goes on to say in verse 39, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. You see, if you profess Jesus and follow him for a few steps and then quit following him and turn back and just live as if he doesn't exist, the Bible says you will be destroyed no matter what you said one day. He said, we're not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Our people are the people of faith who by the grace of God hang on to Jesus. They keep their eyes above the waves fixed on Jesus and keep following him even to the end. And then chapter 11 begins, and it's as if the author says, now here's who our people are. Here's a list of all the crazy people that we're kin to in the faith. 
Here's our, our, our insane, from a worldly standpoint, our insane forever family. This is what you, as a people, should look like, and this is how we live. This is how we do this thing called life with our God. And what we've been seeing all throughout this chapter is that understanding the faith of our forefathers should spur us on in our race of faith as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, our resurrected Savior. This morning, verses 32 to 38, he's been listing off a whole bunch of folks, giving their stories in brief. And in verse 32, he says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets. In that short list of people there, he, he sort of sums up uh, three important periods in the history of Israel. The time of the judges, and then the, the time of uh, the monarchy, and then the time of the prophets. Who through faith, this is what those folks were like, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign enemies, foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. But notice the change here as he continues to describe people who trusted God. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were not escaping the sword, as it said earlier. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. You see, understanding the faith of our forefathers will spur us on in our race of faith as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the resurrected Savior. So just at the outset, two groups of people in our, among our people right there described, aren't there? Group one and group two. If you want to be part of group one, raise your hand. That would be verses 32 to the first part of verse 35. Who is all about group one? Don't make me call you liars in church. Who is about group one? Let me just do it. Anybody want to be part of group two? Okay. I can work with that. Many times throughout the Old Testament, first off this morning, two, two simple points. Many times throughout the Old Testament, our forefathers received, number one, received an earthly validation of their faith. They received an earthly validation of their faith. That's what we see in verses 32 to verse 35. Just read it again to refresh your memory. We're not going to go through all the details that he describes here, but just, just take, take note. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon. Maybe you know this story. Barak. Barak went with Deborah. Samson. Jephthah. 
of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, Daniel, quenched the power of fire, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, Women received back their dead by resurrection. Both Elisha and Elijah raised widows, deceased relatives. You see, this chapter, with rare exception, up to verse 35, has listed only examples where our forefathers' faith was rewarded with an earthly validation. That is, God responded to to the people's faith that are listed here, and He acted in history to positively change circumstances in such a way that His power was demonstrated and His people were vindicated. Right? With rare exception. Abel died, okay? But Noah and the flood, Moses and the Red Sea, just down the list, all the great exploits where God acted on behalf of his people. And what an inspiration this chapter is to trust God, as we've been talking about, to trust God for the impossible and miraculous, even when things are illogical, even when God's ways seem crazy. To trust God for big demonstrations of His power that rock our world and make a real impact on those around us who then see His glory. What an inspiration this chapter is, amen? Have you been encouraged so far to see who our people are and to see if they could live like that without a knowledge of the fullness of the gospel of Christ, the the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and reigns today, at the Father's right hand, ever living to make intercession for us, are are you not encouraged? We can likewise live. In fact, it's easier for us. His Spirit indwells us. We know the full story of our salvation. You see, our God is still working in this way in the lives of His people today. Many times, our forefathers received an earthly validation of their faith. And, and, and here's the deal. Trust God when it doesn't make sense to do something that seems impossible in your life. Believe He is able to do miracles in your life. He rose Jesus from the dead. There's nothing He can't do if He so chooses. So ask big things from God and expect great things from God. And then step out in faith, trusting Him. Not presumption, but according to God's Word, step out in obedience to Him and attempt great things for God. This is our God. Our forefathers, many, many times, received an earthly validation their faith. However, you knew that was coming, didn't you? 
Yeah, because, I mean, there's people getting sawn in two and all kind of stuff in the rest of these verses. However, understand this, and make no mistake about it, do not miss this. There is more to the story of this life of faith in Jesus. And if we miss this, we will be deeply confused about our lives to the point that we may indeed deny Christ. Because we're not prepared for what our lives of faith may bring. In fact, do you understand? That's exactly what was happening in the lives of those who received this letter. They were being persecuted, and they were beginning to turn away from Jesus and go back to the comfortable religion of works, back to the temple worship, back to what all of Israel had done their whole life. Back to that religion that depended on them trying to keep the law of God and somehow earn their way to Him. Because following Jesus wasn't supposed to be this hard. Following Jesus was supposed to be about God loving me and having a great plan for my life. And all of a sudden, I'm suffering. And so they begun to turn back. Yes, many times our forefathers received an earthly validation for their faith, and many times you will, in fact, in life, receive an earthly validation for your faith. God will move in your life and change your life for the better and for His glory. But other times, the second thing I want you to see this morning from verses 35 to 38 is that our forefathers received earthly suffering for their faith and endured that suffering by faith. We're all about receiving an earthly validation for our faith. I, 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 I don't want to be part of group two. I want to be part of group one. I want to see God do good things positive, life-changing, circumstance-rearranging things in my life. But sometimes, what we receive for our faith from God is earthly suffering. And if we're faithful, we endure that suffering by faith. Listen to it. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and <clears throat> even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. By the way, some believe, uh, according to um, a couple of the early church fathers, Isaiah the prophet died that way. They cut him in two. They sawed him in two. They were killed with the sword. <clears throat> they went, in, went about in skins of sheep and Goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. But listen to what he says about this group. Of whom the world was not worthy. Man, you talk about an upside down way of valuing people. They wandered about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. There's nothing, there's nothing enjoyable about the circumstances of those people, is there? 
nothing validating. These, are the, these, these were considered the outcasts of society. These were the ill-treated. But it was through their faith in Jesus Christ. It was through their faith in the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know what all of these specific phrases refer to, but some believe that verse 35, these end of, part, end of verse 35 would, be, would refer back to the, the time of the Maccabean revolts and, 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 and when the Maccabean family there in Israel was, um, was living. And, and you can go to 2 Maccabees 7 if you want to look that up sometime and read the story. It's, a, it's historically accurate. It's not part of the scripture, but it's, it's a historically accurate record from the time. And what happens in this particular case is there's a number of sons, uh, brothers in a family, and, and the authorities, because of their, their faith in God, not in Jesus Christ specifically, but in their, their faith in God, their obedience to the law of God, they try to force these brothers to eat pork. And when they refuse, they torture and kill them. What do you mean they torture them? Well, they started off by cutting out their tongues. Then they scalped their heads... And then, this is just the first brother, by the way. There were several, like four, that died that day. Then they cut their hands off. And when they were completely maimed, they had, they had made a, a special frying pan for the whole human body. And they had heated the oil up hot. And when the, when, when, when the man could no longer walk or move or do anything for himself, they carried him and fried him right in front of his brothers and his mother. And on down the line of the family... They went. You see, sometimes our forefathers received earthly suffering for their faith. And they endured that suffering by faith. In fact, in that story about the the Maccabees, the statement was even made. I won't recant my faith. I won't turn away from the God of my father's but I do believe that God's going to give me a better resurrection after I die. Which sounds a whole lot like they refused to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. On and on this passage goes with horrific, awful things that were what they got for their faith. How many want to live a life of faith? You know, when we ask that question, man, we're, we're, without any qualification, we're all up for that, aren't we? This is sometimes a life of faith. You know what the difference between group one and group two is? Is it because some were better than others? They had done better trust in Jesus than others. They had walked more closely with Jesus than others. And so they got the positive life, these scoundrels that got sawn in two and all this business, you know, guys like Isaiah. I mean, he saw God. Remember that deal, Isaiah 6? Well, I mean, they didn't behave so well, so they kind of had to suffer a little bit. Is that, is, that, is that the deal? The only difference is the sovereign will of their father and mine and yours. You want to live a life of faith? You want to follow Jesus all the way to the end of this life? 
How much do you trust your father? What if instead of earthly validation, it is physical suffering that your faith brings you? J.D. Greer said, if you require earthly validation for your faith, you won't make it. The life of faith requires a confidence in a God you can't see and promises that you can't always feel. And sometimes you stand alone with seemingly the whole world against you. And sometimes your faith in and your obedience to Jesus will only bring suffering into your life. Do you really want to live a life of faith? At certain points, and for some of us, God does not rescue us from suffering, but rather calls us to endure suffering. Let me say it a different way. Do you understand? Having true faith in Jesus is no guarantee of comfort and security in this life. It might just get you killed. Come on Friday night, March the 8th at 8 o'clock, and you're going to hear testimony from three people from other parts of the world, our brothers and sisters who have been persecuted in recent days for Jesus. Their faith caused them pain and suffering. Within the last two months, one of your brothers and our, our, our brothers and sisters in our brother in Iran was put to death for his faith in Christ. We have missionaries nearby who knew him. They knew his name. Sometimes, by faith, God sustains his people through horrendous sufferings. The kind we just read about. In fact, here's what I want you to, to take away this morning. When we read the New Testament the whole of the New Testament, what God makes plain to us is, as Jesus' followers is that suffering will be the norm when we're faithful to Jesus. For the New Testament church, we'll look a whole lot more like verses 35 to 38 than we will verses 32 to 35 and the rest of the beginning of chapter 11. To follow Jesus means the normal Christian life is a life of suffering. Don't forget what I said earlier. That gospel that's going around that says Jesus is all about blessing your American dream, kind of putting the icing on the cake of the American pie in your life, it's a lie. And if that's your gospel, then you may not be following Jesus of Nazareth at all. He said, Chad, this is that man. I didn't come for this. Well, I mean, it's just stuff Jesus said. This isn't new, and I'm not making this stuff up. Listen to what Jesus said. Hang on tight. We're fixing to read a bunch of scripture really fast. You ready? 
John 15, 18. If the world hates you, Jesus said, know that it has, was, has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. By the way, if he, it loves you, then guess what? You might better check yourself. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the, the word I, that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on my account, on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Why do we think we're entitled to better than Jesus got in this world? Because we believe the false gospel. What are these things that he talks about them doing to them? Well, he told us that too in Matthew 24, verses 9 to 13. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. You know what that's a description of? That's a description of a church that has the true gospel and the false gospel mixed in amongst its members. And when those standing true to the biblical gospel are persecuted, those that watch it and have been believing the American gospel, the false gospel, you know what they do? They're like, dude, I'm out of here. You want to know where those freaks are? Right over there. You see that guy on the back row over there? My, that Michael guy. He's the, yeah, he, I'm not about Jesus anymore, but, but, but now Michael. Betraying one another. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. I don't know about you, but every time I read that, that phrase, I tremble. The love of many will grow cold. When the going gets tough, the love of many will grow cold. Will my love grow cold? Will your love grow cold? But the one who endures to the end will be saved. We shouldn't be surprised. The one who started this whole thing called Christianity, Jesus, told us right up front. And then Paul in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, doesn't get much plainer than this. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised. We're surprised at suffering. Peter says, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice. Do what? But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Can't do the second part without the first part. You won't be with him. When his glory is revealed, if you don't rejoice in suffering for him because you stood firm and faithful to him in the day of trial. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. In Philippians 1 verse 29, Paul says, It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him. We're all about that, amen? Believe in Jesus. Be saved. Be rescued from hell. Be made a child of God. We're, we're all about that. 
But it's not only been granted to you to believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. It's part of the deal. Maybe you weren't told when you signed up. Maybe they didn't tell you in that altar call that following Jesus meant following a suffering Savior and suffering like he suffered. Being hated by this world. I'm sorry if they didn't tell you. But Jesus said that's the deal. Paul said that's what you get for following Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure, Paul says, in jars of clay. To show. Why, why does he put it in dirt jars? Just common pots. Why does he give us the gospel and the treasure of Jesus as believers? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The treasure is Jesus. And he puts it in clay jars to show what's really important. So, so nobody gets caught up in us. They, they see, wow, I can't believe this. Jesus is inside that. <laughs> wow, God can use anybody. He's using dirt jars all the time. Clay pots. To carry around his treasure. The treasure of the universe. Even Christ. And that's the point. So that everybody sees him. We are afflicted. So, so what, what, what's our life like? Paul says we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body, listen, the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may be also manifested in our bodies. In other words, we suffer for Jesus. So that other people can live through Jesus. We suffer for him so others can see him and trust in him. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, Paul says, but life in you. Verse 14 says, Knowing that he who, is ra- who, that, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus... Well, how do we do it? How do we suffer like this? How do we go through all these afflictions knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence? For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction. Y'all know what Paul went through? Y'all know all that he suffered? It was big. But he says this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. In Revelation 20, verse 4, it says, Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. And I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus. Beheaded? Yeah, beheaded. There's another place in Revelation, by the way, it talks about those who died for their testimony about Jesus. 
They were beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its images and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. I don't know what all that means about the beast and its image and taking the mark and all that. Here's the bottom line. It has to do with loving the world. It has to do with loving other things. It has to do with loving money and ease and comfort and the American dream more than Jesus. That much I know it has to do with. And it's those who refuse to do that and got beheaded that reign with Christ. Again, these believers had already suffered. Back in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 to 34, this isn't going to be on the screen. It says, he, he says to the, to the readers of this same letter, Hebrews 10, 32, But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and he joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. These believers had already suffered. They knew that sometimes what you receive for your faith in Jesus is earthly trouble through which, by the same faith that brought the trouble, you endure the suffering. And, 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 and the author of Hebrews is going to go on to exhort us about suffering in Hebrews 13, verses 12 to 14, where he says, Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city but we seek the city that is to come. Our forefathers often received earthly suffering for their faith, and they endured that suffering by faith. They knew they had a lasting and better possession than the stuff they lost in the here and now. They knew. We've seen it all the way through the, the chapter, uh, this chapter in chapter 11. They knew that they weren't, this wasn't home. They knew her, that home was a, a heavenly city, one that God was building for them, the new Jerusalem of Revelation 21 and 22. And they were living for that city. Our forefathers received earthly suffering for their faith and endured it by faith. And so will we, if we're faithful to Jesus and obedient to Him. If we, seek, if we live seeking the city, Hebrews 13, that is to come. Is the new Jerusalem real to you? Is eternity in the presence of your Father and the Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, is that real to you? Do you understand there's nothing that this world offers and there's nothing that death can take away that's any better than that. Do you believe it? You see, understanding the faith of our forefathers should spur us on in our race of faith as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, our resurrected Savior. 
When John and Margaret Payton landed on the New Hebrides island of Aniwa in November 1866, they saw the destitution of the islanders. The native people were cannibals and occasionally ate the flesh of their defeated foes. They practiced infanticide and widow sacrifice, killing the widows of deceased men so they could serve their husbands in the next world. Peyton wrote, their whole worship was one of slavish fear. So far as I could ever learn, they had no idea of a God of mercy or grace. Over 15 years, John Peyton saw the entire island of Aniwa turn to Christ. Years later, he would write, I claimed Aniwa for Jesus, and by the grace of God, Aniwa now worships at the Savior's feet. Powerful missionary testimony of what God did there. But that victory, that victory of the gospel among the Onawa people came through great loss and suffering. Peyton had courage to overcome the criticism he received before he ever left home. From respected elders in his church for going to the New Hebrides Islands, a certain Mr. Dixon exploded one day in church and said, The cannibals! You'll be eaten by the cannibals! To which John Payton responded, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can live, if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will be as fair, will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. He believed he was going to a different city. Peyton originally arrived in the New Hebrides on November the 5th. Stay with me on these dates. November the 5th, 1858, when his first wife, Margaret, was pregnant. Who takes a pregnant wife to the New Hebrides Islands? The baby was born on February the 12th, 1859. Our island exile thrilled with joy. He writes, but the greatest of sorrows was treading hard upon the heels of that great joy. Mary had repeated attacks of fever, pneumonia, and diarrhea with delirium for two weeks. Then, in a moment, altogether unexpectedly, she died on March the 3rd. They got there in November. She died March the 3rd. To crown my sorrows, John writes, and complete my loneliness, the dear baby boy whom he had named after her father, Peter Robert Robson, was taken from me after one week's sickness on the 20th of March. Got there in November. March 3rd, she dies. March 20th, his son dies. Let those who've never, who have ever passed through any similar darkness as of midnight feel for me. As for all others, it would be more than vain to try to paint my sorrows. He dug the two graves with his own hands and buried them by the house he had built. Stunned by that dreadful loss and entering upon this field of labor to which the Lord himself had so evidently led him, he writes, my reason seemed for a time almost to give way. The ever-merciful Lord sustained me. But for Jesus and the fellowship he vouchsafed to me there, I must have gone mad and died beside those lonely graves. Well, John Payton stayed. He didn't go home. And he kept loving and sharing the gospel with the Onawa in the face of great hostility and threat to his life. 
His courage, even when surrounded by armed natives, came through a kind of praying that, ca- that claimed the promises under the overarching submission to God's wisdom as to what would work most for God's glory and for His good. And he writes, I assured them that I was not afraid to die, for at death my Savior would take me to be with Himself in heaven and to be, and to be for happier than I had ever been on earth. Do you believe this? I then lifted up my hands and eyes to, he- to the heavens and prayed aloud for Jesus either to protect me or to take me home to glory as he saw to be for the best. Sometimes God responds to our faith in Jesus, our obedience to Christ with an earthly validation of our faith where he protects us. But there's other times when we suffer on this earth, maybe in some cases even die. A martyr's death. It's happening every day in our world. Our family, they're dying for Christ. Do we believe that to live is Christ? But to die is gain. To live is for the glory of Christ, but to die is my gain. Peyton leaves us with a question. If you were thus thrown back upon your own soul alone, all alone, in the midnight, in the bush, in the very embrace of death itself, have you a friend that will not fail you then? Do you know Jesus that way? Can you sing the words of the song, Firm Foundation, by Maverick City Music, Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand. When everything around me is shaken, I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus because he's never let me down. He's faithful throughout generations, so why would he fail now? He won't. I've still got joy in chaos. I've got peace that makes no sense, so I won't be going under. I'm not held by my own strength because I've built my life on Jesus He's never let me down. He's faithful in every season. So why would he fail now? He won't. And you see, when when Isaiah got sawn in two, God didn't fail. God took him home to the greatest joy he'd ever known. Because to die is gain. We've got to learn to think different, don't we? You see, we can sing and live those words because Jesus will never fail. Will we? Chapter 12 of Hebrews starts out this way as we close. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Because of our forefathers, let's look back to them. Let's look up to Jesus And let's look forward to the prize and keep running the race that we've been called to run. 
If they could do it, you and I serve a risen Savior. We can do it. We can run with endurance. We can say no to sin. We can throw off the stuff of this world that is, I'm telling you, it is epidemic in our lives that just distracts us from following Jesus. We can throw it off. And we can fix our eyes on Jesus who suffered to save us and who right now is in the Father's presence and who has told us one day you will be here with me. And believing that we can run and not quit running. And when we get tired and when the storms come and when tragedy hits and when trials come and when pain and suffering come, we can keep running because our eyes are set above the waves are fixed on Jesus who died for us. Let's pray. Oh, Father, help us to run faithfully, to endure in our faith, even when we receive no earthly validation for it, but only trouble. And in our suffering, may you be glorified. God, make us serious enough about following Jesus that we actually suffer for it first. And help us to realize what you told us in another place in the Gospels, Jesus, where you said that when we're persecuted and brought before authorities, when we're being persecuted and opposed, that's the very moment that our witness may be the most effective. Lord, let us consider and see our own hearts. May we examine ourselves and may you, by your Spirit, search us to see where we'll be in the faith. May we get real serious about following Jesus and living a life of faith or, or not. But may we not pretend anymore. God, there may be someone here today who's seen the beauty of Christ and said, you know what, it's worth it. If eternity with my God who loves me and gave his son to die for me is my reward, then, then it's worth risking it all to follow Jesus. Draw them to yourself even today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and respond to God's word as we sing.
God's people said. Amen, amen. You may be seated for just a moment. 